And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. It is Monday. And yes, it's Juneteenth. That's a holiday for federal office people and, and, you know, governments and banks. But for everybody else, it's Monday. And we are here in the office because on Monday, everybody works. My name is Jason Hutton. I'm the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me. Welcome to the program, folks. There are plenty of other things that are going on right now. I know Sir Toxalot's got a show. We've got, uh, let's see, who else is on the air right now? Kelsey's on the show. Midnight's Ed's on on the air. Uh, Carrie, you've got, uh, let's see, who else? Common Nerd, Tardis Zone, and all sorts of people that are broadcasting right now as we are. So if you are here with us live... Thanks very much for being here. And if you're here not live, that's okay, too. I mean, if you're coming here after seeing some of those other shows, that's that's fine. And if you're here listening to us as a podcast, uh, you are more than welcome as well. I, I'm perfectly fine. I'm perfectly fine. However you want to consume our product, just as long as you're here and if we keep doing something and you keep doing your thing coming back and and giving us your attention that's great all right so all right (sighs) this is kind of sort of going to be a normal week i think maybe we'll see (coughs) let's say hi to everybody in the chat oh wait uh i mentioned the podcast stuff let me go through the rest of my shtick you can leave a comment if you're not live. If you are live, all the live widgets are open. I'll say hi to everybody here in a second. Social media, find us everywhere. Email address, live from the bunker at sci-fi-for-me.com. And, of course, the Discord server is open for business. All right, now, let me say hi to everybody. Keely, Cam, Michael, MS over there on YouTube, Aerial Blade on Rumble. Good to have all of you with us. Welcome, welcome, welcome. All right. <coughs> so, yesterday, not yesterday, Saturday. Saturday, two days ago, we had our H2O podcast, which normally runs on Tuesday, but had, because of circumstances, ran on Saturday this past week. And we reviewed The Flash. So if you want to go check that out, uh, you can see uh, our review of the uh, of the movie, which is not doing too well. And we'll get into that here in just a second. First of all, I want to give a shout out to Sav Rogers. Uh, Sav was a contributor at, uh, at Sci-Fi for Me for a short time, uh, doing some reviews and some stuff, and now has a documentary at the Tribeca Film Festival, Chasing, Chasing Amy. This is Sav's movie about um, Kevin Smith's movie, Chasing Amy, and what it meant for Sav's life. I'm not exactly sure of the content of this thing, but it's a documentary, and it's a it's it's basically now getting headlines in The Hollywood Reporter, so... 
So, uh, so shout out to Sav. Congratulations. That's, uh, that's always, always, uh, not really a proud papa moment, but you know, you, you're, you're, they, they spend some time here and then they go off to do other things and, and get some attention and have some success. And it's always good to have them, to see them succeed. So, uh, so there is that. All right. So success has not come for the flash. Or for Elemental, here's the headline from the Hollywood Reporter. Ezra Miller's The Flash, Pixar's Elemental, got iced by moviegoers. <laughs> they think they're being clever. This is uh, Pamela McClintock today in the Heat Vision blog. Arg, it starts. Such was the refrain across Hollywood as opening weekend estimates circulated for DC's highly anticipated The Flash and Pixar's Elemental. I don't know that they were highly anticipated, at least not in the circles that, that we're part of. <clears throat> uh, debuting domestically over the long Juneteenth holiday weekend, as well as Father's Day on Sunday. See, this is, this is the thing. When did Father's Day become the parenthetical? Oh, by the way, it's Father's Day. It, it, just, it just reinforces this notion that the media doesn't like fathers. Fatherhood has been under attack for the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years now. But, okay. Let's set that aside for a minute. Starring Ezra Miller in the titular role, Warner Brothers and DC's The Flash is anything but flashy in the opinion of moviegoers. The film earned an estimated $55.7 million for the three days and projected $64.2 million for the four days, notably behind expectations. And those expectations were revised downward at least once, I think maybe twice, because at one point I was hearing 110. And then it was 60 to 70, and it didn't even do that. And we were talking about this last night over on Culture's show on, uh, on Karate with Infinite Patience. I, I personally think that the Ezra Miller thing is a bigger deal than Warner Brothers even expected. But I also think that Warner Brothers knew going into this that this was not going to perform well. I think I think Zaslav and the gang there sat there and said, okay, well, we're stuck with this thing. Let's make the best of it and get past it and move on. And that's what they've done. And I, I don't think that they're expecting to make a profit on this. As a matter of fact, given how much uh, Warner Brothers Discovery has a tendency to write down things like Batgirl... It could very well be that they're already planning to write this off and and take the loss because if and I was speculating a little bit about whether or not the contracts have any kind of pay or play on there that that said if the movie doesn't screen you pay x amount of money to the to the principals the you know the cast and crew so maybe that was part of it, but maybe they figure, okay, we've got $300 million wrapped up in this thing. We need to go ahead and put it out because it's too much to write off. If they do it this way, they at least make a little bit of money back, 
and they write off a little less, maybe it's a little bit more of a manageable write-off. I don't know. That's pure speculation on my part. But I think that with the spillover into the regular media for all of Ezra Miller's antics and, and legal situations, I think that probably played into it a lot more, especially given what's going on everywhere else with the drag queen shows and the LGBT parades and all sorts of public displays of lewdness and unacceptable immoral behavior in front of children, people are sitting there going, yeah, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to support any of this stuff. And Ezra is probably seen as part of, maybe not necessarily part of that, but it's, it's that, it's that whole thing of you were doing what? You know, because you had the you had the accusations of grooming, you had the accusations of holding people hostage, and and it was like this kid can't win, even though he gives a very good performance in the Flash. I'll give him that; it's his best performance as the Flash out of all of the different ones that he's done, no question. But it's not a very good movie. It's not a terrible movie. It's 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 an okay movie. I put it right there in with Green Lantern. Green, Green Lantern and, and The Flash, I, I they tried to do too much. The Flash just did too much with more budget than Green Lantern had. But it's the same kind of thing. You're trying to shoehorn three different movies into one. So, eh. Uh, MS says, if The Flash failed this bad with all the marking it had, Batgirl had no chance. Well, a, a couple of things, though. Because the marketing of The Flash was all Michael Keaton Batman. And there are not enough of the regular normal people who remember or appreciate or have any kind of member berries nostalgia for Michael Keaton as Batman. Your, your diehard fans, your Batman fans, your Michael Keaton Batman fans... The ones who actually went to Batman in 1989. All of us have grown up and we're like, oh yeah, that would be cool. Especially given the fact that we've all been talking for the last, I don't know how many years, about a live action Batman Beyond. And wouldn't it be cool to see Michael Keaton back as Bruce Wayne for a live action Batman Beyond? And that's kind of, sort of, hinted at what we were going to maybe get with Batgirl. But the other thing is that Batgirl was never going to go to theaters. Batgirl was intended strictly as a Max production, which means it didn't have as big of a budget. And in, in terms of quality of everything, I mean, we saw some of the pictures of, uh, of Leslie Grace as Batgirl in the costume. Eh. Okay. I mean, it was, it was, the, it was the new one. The, whatever the current was, the when when she when she moved to Bloodhaven in the comic books, that new cosplay friendly costume that they that they put her in, and it it would have been interesting, I think, to see Brendan Fraser as as a villain as Firefly, but you know we're never going to get that. Oh well. But if they sit there and they say, okay, we're going to write off a seventy-two million dollar picture, that's one thing. They're going to write off a three hundred million dollar picture, that's another thing. So the, the marketing the marketing aspect of it yes is is a factor but I think the other part of it is I I really do think that the Ezra Miller thing killed this movie 
One of the reasons why they were marketing it as Michael Keaton's return as Batman. But see, the other thing, too, is you've got multiverse. And multiverse and multiverse. I mean, we've just had Doctor Strange 2 in the Multiverse of Madness. We just had... You know, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, which is a multiverse picture. We've got, you know, everything everywhere all at once, which swept the Oscars, and it's a multiverse picture. I think people are sitting there going, another one? Again? Plus the fact that this is Flash, this this has elements of Flashpoint in it. And we've already had Flashpoint at least twice. We've got an animated feature film, and we've got Flashpoint on television with the flash with grant gustin's flash even though they only did it in two episodes which is dumb if you're going to do flashpoint take the time to do flashpoint the only problem is you can't do flashpoint without everybody not proper i mean you can't do flashpoint in the movies because you haven't introduced professor zoom you can't do all of the things that flashpoint did Without really big changes in the in the in the story universe that you've got, so you couldn't properly do Flashpoint. So I don't know. Uh, will the Mrs. Boss will the multiverse thing hurt Ahsoka? I don't think so because I don't think I don't think anybody really understands that the world between worlds is a is a potential setup for a multiverse, even though. Who, who said it? Was it Giancarlo Esposito said something about the Star Wars multiverse? No, who was it that said the, something about a multiverse? But I, I don't think there's a Star Wars multiverse. Not yet. And hopefully there won't be. Carl Weathers. Yes, thank you. All right, yes, Carl Weathers. I don't think there's going to be a multiverse. I really hope not. So... I don't know what I don't even know how much the world between worlds is going to be a factor in Ahsoka. It's kind of hard because we haven't heard very much in the way of rumors on that. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway, back to this Hollywood article report. Did he? Did he? Did he? Did he? Fifty-five seven. Fifty-five point seven. Okay, final numbers will be tallied on Tuesday, so that number could go up from fifty-five point seven. Now that's just domestic. Worldwide, it's only sitting at 130 million. That's bad. Uh, the Flash had hoped for a three-day start of at least 70 million, so as to come in ahead of such disappointing titles as Black Adam, which collected 67 million in its first three days. So the Flash has done worse than Black Adam. Ruminate on that for a moment. And again, this goes back, I think. To the perception, the public perception of the lead actor. Because if you look at Black Adam, people are getting tired of The Rock. And after the fact, we find out that The Rock was up to shenanigans behind the scenes with regard to all of this. And... The whole Henry Cavill thing and, you know, various different machinations so that 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 The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, could be in charge of running things in the DC universe. And 
used the premiere to sell his margarita mix or tequila or whatever it is that he's got. And it became all about The Rock and not about the movie. And so people are, besides that film, I mean, now you've got, you've got the feud going on over there with regard to Fast and Furious. I mean, the Rock is kind of falling out of favor with the public in some circles, not with everybody. But he's not, he's not polished goods. He's, he's somewhat a little bit uh, knocked off that pedestal some. Emma says, I saw Black Adam in the theaters, and no shame, really liked it. And, and that's fine. I haven't had a chance to see it yet. I, I, have, not, I have not watched it. I, I want to see it for Pierce Brosnan's Dr. Fate. But I just haven't had a huge need to go see it. Uh, Michael, unlike Japan, example, no Godzilla multiverse explanations, just a reboot or ignore the previous movie. We seem to demand continuity. Well, okay, so let's let's blame George Lucas for that. Because prior to Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, we didn't have very much in the way of sequels. We had The Godfather, The Godfather Part Two, You had Superman and Superman Two, but those didn't come until after Star Wars. Sequels weren't really much of a thing until the Star Wars trilogy. And then everything had sequels. Beverly Hills Cop, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Beverly Hills Cop 3, Highlander. Highlander the TV series. Jaws. I mean, yeah, Michael, you're right. James Bond and Planet of the Apes. But the James Bond movies weren't technically sequels because one didn't go to the next, didn't go to the next, until you get Daniel Craig playing James Bond. All of those were episodes. They were episodic. They were single films that were standalone by themselves. And yes, Dave, the, 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 the Thin Man movies in, the, in that. But that was more a series of films rather than sequels. The only, the only two... The only one that I would that I would categorize as a direct sequel for the Thin Man would be after the Thin Man, because the Thin Man ends with them on the train going home to California, and after the Thin Man starts when they get off the train in California, when they get home. So that was it. The rest of them are standalone stories, <coughs> and I guess you could consider them sequels. But one doesn't one doesn't have story that flows from another, and I guess that's that's how I consider a sequel. A sequel continues the story. I guess maybe maybe not all the time, but this whole thing about sequel, 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 trilogy, trilogy, series, you know, all this, it wasn't in vogue. You know, the Thin Man was the outlier. The Thin Man was the exception to the rule. You know, you didn't get a sequel to Gone with the Wind four years later. You didn't get a sequel to The Ten Commandments. You didn't get a sequel to Zardoz. I mean, all none, none of those films had, had sequels. And yes, The Planet of the Apes was the same kind of thing. Planet of the Apes had... That was, that was sequels. And that was done late 60s, early 70s. So it's right about in that same time period, but we didn't start to get really ramped up on sequels until the 80s. 
And then we got a sequel to 2001. And we got a sequel to The Wizard of Oz. Everything became a sequel. Everything had to have a sequel. And if it does enough money, it gets a sequel. If it doesn't do enough money, the sequel that was planned didn't happen. So even if these movies were a one-off, like Howard the Duck, for example, there are plans for a sequel. Back to the Future was the exception to that because Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale are on record in various different interviews saying that they never intended to make more than one. Otherwise, they wouldn't have put Jennifer in the car at the end. That tied them up because it made a ton of money. And Universal said, when are we doing the next one? And suddenly it's a trilogy. Uh, MSS, would, would you say that the comic book, uh, comic book movies are more like the serials of the 30s and 40s? Kinda, maybe. Yeah, I mean, there some of them. But see, again, we're, you know, eighties and nineties into into stuff. That's that's when everything was a sequel. I mean, Batman eighty nine. You had Batman Returns. You had Batman Robin. All of those. This is all post Star Wars. So it's all George's fault. <coughs> Uh, continuing here. Overseas, the superhero tentpole, tentpole also faced challenges. It opened to $72 million from 79 markets, including a dismal $13.8 million in China for a global opening north of $130 million through Sunday. The studio's leadership has been hyping the Flash for months, with Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslav proclaiming it. It is the greatest superhero movie he's ever seen. He's probably not seen that many then. Many critics don't agree with the assessment. The pick currently has a 67% tomato meter score on Rotten Tomatoes. A bigger problem, audiences gave the movie a mediocre B cinema score as a way of comparison. Elemental received an A. While superhero fare often skews heavily male, The Flash is even more so than usual, 70%. So, box office pundits are divided as to whether Miller's off-screen woes are impacting the film's performance. It is. Miller was arrested multiple times in 2022, was the subject of general, several controversies culminating in the actor issuing a statement in August of last year apologizing for their behavior and saying they would receive help for complex mental health issues. Miller walked the red carpet at the movie's premiere but has otherwise been absent from doing publicity for The Flash. And actually, that was the smart move for Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers said, you're going to sit this one out, Ezra. Uh, okay, so we've got a little bit of a synopsis and ba da ba da ba. Ditto for picks. Uh, Disney, DC was hev counting heavily on the Flash to improve its standing after the tepid showing of Shazam, Fury of the Gods, and Black Adam. Part of that comes from knowing that the Shazam story universe and the Black Adam story universe are about to get wiped out. Because James Gunn and Peter Safran are coming in for something brand new. And everybody out there says, oh, they're redoing it. Why should this matter? And you're not going to have a huge audience for those movies anyway because not as many people read those comic books. And there are not too many people anymore around who remember the CBS Saturday morning show with Jackson Bostwick as Captain Marvel. 
Ditto for Pixar, which has Elemental opening this weekend, but the family film quickly fell flat at the box office in the latest blow for the storied animation studio. Many pundits worry that original animated IP is no longer a theatrical proposition. I would disagree with that. I think that original animated IP is still perfectly viable, but you've got to have a good story, and you've got to have a good marketing, and you've got to have good word of mouth. And... The YouTube environment has got to be a part of that now. See, this is the thing. is We were talking about this last night, and Shagsworth made a good point. That, that he's, he's, he, saw, he saw Elemental. He said there's, there's a couple of things in there. They're one-off. They're little lines, throwaway lines. They're there, and they're gone, and you don't even realize it's there. But people latch on to this, and then the, and then the social media, Twitter sphere, and the YouTube bloggers, all these guys... Uh, latch on to this and say, oh, well, it's going to be woke. And this goes back, I've said it before, we've got to stop making all of these snap decisions and snap judgments based on piecemeal information. And if Elemental is a perfectly fine movie, it's an entertaining movie and people enjoy it, and you have one line that says something about somebody being bisexual or whatever, or, 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 or gender or binary, whatever... But it's a throwaway, a throwaway line, and it's not super important to the plot. Then, you know, if, why are we make a big deal out of things that may not necessarily be a big deal? And if Elemental is a perfectly fine, acceptable movie, and it's entertaining, and it's, and it's well executed, and it's a good story that's well told, then it deserves a shot. And I'm not saying it is. I haven't seen it. <clears throat> I'm saying if. Because there's been a, plenty of positive feedback about it, except the fact that nobody knew that it was going to be out there. I didn't see any marketing for Elemental at all. I saw, I, you know, I got some some press stuff, some trade, uh, trade magazine articles on it, Hollywood Reporter and Variety and whatnot, but I didn't see any marketing for it at all. I don't remember even seeing a poster in the movie theater. Maybe one. But there hasn't been any marketing for Elemental that I... I, Where? Of course, I don't watch TV anymore. But what was their marketing budget for it? Add to that... That Pixar no longer has John Laster. And that hurts... That hurts Pixar more than anything, and I think it it hurts them more than even they realize. Because John Laster's over at Skydance Animation now. And Skydance Animation is becoming the new Pixar. So much so <clears throat> that there may be some consequences for Pixar after this. I don't know. We'll see. Elemental earned an estimated $29.6 million for the three-day weekend. The lowest wide weekend debut ever for a Pixar title outside of Toy Story, which started off with $29.1 million nearly three decades ago, not adjusted for inflation. Toy Story, of course, went on to make cinematic and box office history. Elemental isn't expected to do the same. Elemental's four-day holiday gross, an estimated $33.4 million. Overseas, Elemental earned $17 million from its first 17 markets, including beating the flash in south korea 
with $3.2 million. So it's not doing very good at all. And maybe word of mouth, it gets, you know, it gets picked up a little bit uh, through through the next couple of weeks. But, you know, you've got Transformers out there. You've got another animated picture with Spider-Verse. You've got uh, Mission Impossible on the way. You've got Barbie on the way. Oppenheimer's coming. Indiana Jones is coming. Elemental's going to get killed. Uh, Death Angel Shadow, what holiday? Juneteenth is is the holiday today, I'm told. Uh, so, anyway. Uh, MS says, I saw a trailer for Elemental at Transformers. The whole trailer was about a girl meeting a boy, and I guess they fall in love. I looked at my kids and thought, for real, do my kids want to see a romantic comedy that's animated? Um, Shags took a, Shags, Shags took his kids. He said his kids liked it. So I, I don't know. Um, Michael says the old serials had high, low action with many cliffhangers with not too much character development. On the other hand, some argue the modern films do not do much character development either. Yeah. Uh, it depends on the story. It depends on what movie you're talking about. See, and that's the thing with The Flash, uh, and we talked about this on Saturday. The, the Flash has some really... The Flash has some pretty solid character work. The plot is a mess, but the character work is pretty good. I mean, Michael Keaton does have some some depth and some, some dimension on his his new version of Batman. Uh, and like I said, you know, Ezra Miller has done the be- his best work as the Flash in this movie, uh, as both Barrys. So it, the special effects are crap. The story doesn't hold together. It doesn't know what kind of movie it wants to be, whether it's an action picture or a superhero picture or a, a time travel movie or a comedy. Or I mean, it's got all of these different things that it's trying to do. And like Tim pointed out, if you're going to do this, you probably needed to break it up into two films where you start with the comedic and you end up where where we find where we're at the point where Zod is thing. And then the rest of it, you know, you shift your tone and the first movie gets more and more serious as we get closer to the reveal that, hey, I'm stuck in the time where Zod's attacking. Now, what are we going to do? There's no there's what do you mean? There's no metahumans. I have to find Batman. And that's where you stop. And then you pick up in the second part and you go find Batman and you go rescue Supergirl and there's all your action stuff. And now you can do a serious movie and you already had your fun. But they tried to do all of this stuff at the same time. And they tried to make it a comedy in the middle of a drama in the middle of an action in the middle of a superhero. It's just, it's a mess. Uh, Death Angel said, I know Clownfish meant something about one or two of the trades claiming a four-day weekend. Oh, that, yeah. Yeah, it's it's technically, it is a federal holiday. So, that means we don't get any mail today and my trash pickup is going to be a day late. And look, I don't want to knock Juneteenth. You know, Ju- Juneteenth is a significant date uh, in the history of the country. So, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But yes, most of us work today. Uh, MS says, my kids are seven and nine. My daughter's friend wanted to go for her birthday, but I didn't know if it was something seven-year-old girls care about. Now I got Barbie to look forward to. Look, Barbie, I think Barbie is going to do much better than anybody expects. I think Barbie is going to be a sleeper hit. I, I, I think maybe 
The thing is, Barbie and Oppenheimer are coming out the same weekend. And they're completely different audiences, yes. But I think there's going to be... I think both of them are going to do well. We'll have to see how it goes. I think Oppenheimer will probably top the mark, uh, top the box office for the weekend. But Barbie's going to have legs. Pardon the pun. Uh, you know, Barbie's going to be around for a little bit, and the people who went to see Oppenheimer first are going to go see Barbie after because it's it's a date movie, looks like, but it's also and they're the way they're marketing this is pretty smart. Where they're sitting there going. For all of you who love Barbie, and for all of you who hate Barbie, this movie's for you. So they're basically saying, look, it, yeah, it's a Barbie movie, but it's got some stuff in there for the people who hate Barbie. That's smart, because that sits there and says, yeah, we know, you probably didn't play with Barbie when you were a kid, but there's stuff in here that you'll have fun with. Too. You'll enjoy this, too. So, I don't know. Yeah, and Oppenheimer is going to really take the weekend, I think. Because Mother of All Bombs. He actually drops a Mother of All Bombs for the movie. It is a practical effect. And there are so many people who are going, I want to see this. Just for, when, when Titanic came out. I had a friend of mine went and go, went and saw it. I had no interest in seeing it whatsoever. Especially since that it doesn't even tell a real story from the Titanic. It's a made-up story from the Titanic. And it's a completely unrealistic story from the Titanic. But I had this friend of mine sit and, and saw it and said, it's worth the money just to go see the boat sink. Because the special effects at the time were really impressive and innovative. And yes, the, the, sink, the sinking of the Titanic is, is really good effects work. Especially at the time. Very impressive. So, you've got people talking about Oppenheimer. And then this article comes out <laughs> about them actually dropping a bomb. Now, you didn't drop a nuke. But he actually drops a bomb... For, for this movie, it was like, well, of course he did. It's Christopher Nolan. Uh, so I want to go see that. I don't know. Um, let's see. Michael says, any clues on the nature of the reshoots? Maybe it's disjointed because originally it was cohesive. Thought though. Are you talking about uh, Flash? Uh, we talked about this on H two O. The Flash originally had a four hour cut, so there's a lot that got left on the cutting room floor. There's a lot that got replaced with the reshoots because as, you know, James Gunn and Peter Safran come in and they're in charge of the new, uh, they're in charge of the new DC universe, which now this Flash is no longer part of. The Snyderverse is gone. The Snyderverse is dead after this. <coughs> now you have to change some things. Apparently there were three different endings that were shot. Uh, so when the Flash gets back to his time, he thinks, instead of instead of Ben Affleck's uh, Bruce Wayne, it was Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne. And there was another another uh, version that was shot with Henry Cavill and Gal Gadot as Superman and Wonder Woman back there. And 
then they went back in and threw the one with Clooney. So there's all sorts of different things in the reshoots to, to make this thing more self-contained. And some cameos got cut. Uh, you know, Linda Carter was going to be in it, and then Linda Carter's not in it. Um, I don't know who else who else was on that on that thing. See, and I see there's a there's a definite missed opportunity there too because we see George Reeves and we see Adam West. We should have seen Linda Carter and we should have seen Jackson Bostwick as Captain Marvel and put them all together like the picture, like the Alex Ross picture. I'm just saying, missed opportunity. But nobody, nobody, nobody knows about any of that stuff. Nobody cares about it, except for those of us who have been fans for a very, very, very long time. So we'll see. I don't know, but uh, but yeah, it's it's going to be interesting because Pixar, <coughs> Pixar is is in trouble, shall we say, um, and it's. It's going to be one of those things where it may not, you know, we keep talking about Disney might might sell Lucasfilm. Disney might might fold Pixar into Disney Animation. Pixar might actually go away. And we're going to talk about that and some other stuff right after this. And bye. We have 52 reasons to listen to this podcast, but they may change in six months. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. That's a huge question and one that I would rather not answer, but I'm going to answer it. Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. I was just kind of noodling on this very idea, so it's funny you bring it up. It's a good question. That's a great question. I love this question. Yeah. That's a good question. Count on Sci-Fi for me to be there asking all of the questions. It's a really good question. Bringing you news and opinion from all over the web. Sci-Fi for me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. Good morning, Multiverse. Saturday morning at 11, 10 Central, only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. All right, ladies and gentlemen. My Barbie is on the shelf there in her Star Trek uniform next to Ken in his Star Trek uniform. That's the only Barbie I own. I think Barbie's going to do well in the box office. It's it's interesting. It's interesting counter-programming to Oppenheimer. So, we'll see. And you know Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers wants Christopher Nolan back. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Michael says uh, regarding the Oppenheimer bomb, perhaps he did something like the fuel air bomb, which is the most powerful non-nuclear. I'm sorry. May, it, it, they kept calling it the Moab, so mother of all bombs. I don't know if it was the, the, the fuel air bomb or if it was something else. I remember reading about it, but it's it's been a day or two, and I've slept since then. But possible, possible. Uh, Death Angel Shadow says, I'll watch the cut of The Flash that has no Ezra Miller in it. <laughs> well, 
All right. I think I think Ezra Miller is done as the Flash. Uh, we've got no indication for any of that. And even though uh, Andy Machete says that the sequel has been written, uh, I, we don't have any plans for it. And uh, Machete is moving on to the uh, Brave and the Bold uh, Batman movie as part of this new DC universe. So the Flash is done for a while. And I have a feeling that they're going to keep it that way deliberately in order to get past a certain amount of time since Ezra Miller played The Flash, I think they're going to distance themselves from that, from all of that, and, and time is the great, uh, the great equalizer on that, right? All right, so uh, Oppenheimer coming in. Tom Cruise is very upset because Oppenheimer is taking some of his IMAX screens away from Mission Impossible. But he does uh, sit here and say uh, he's at the, the premiere in Rome last night. Uh, Tom Cruise says he'll always fight for big theaters, which is good. Tom Cruise made an impassioned speech about cinema going from Rome's Spanish steps at the world premiere of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Now, I know it's not a genre picture, but I'm going somewhere with this, so hang, hang tight here. He says, there's a community that we're all part of, different cultures and ways of life. We all joined together to enjoy cinema, said Cruz, dressed in a crisp blue suit and wearing aviator shades. And it's something that I grew up with that made me and inspired me to dream and want to travel the world. My goal since I was little was to make movies and travel and not just be a tourist, but work in that world and understand their culture. Through my movies, I've been able to have that because everyone here has allowed me to entertain them. It's a privilege that I've never taken for granted. It's my passion to entertain you, and I was always fight for big theaters and that kind of experience for everyone. And that's, that's really nice words to say, and it's really good that he's making these movies like Oppenheimer is, is for Christopher Nolan. I mean, Christopher Nolan and Tom Cruise are pretty much the only ones that are saying, going, movies need to be in the movie theaters, which is great, except... For the writer's strike, which is causing projects now to get force majeure. And here's another one. This is a TV project, but this is this is dead. This is gone. Uh, deadline, uh, Nelly Andreva. Metropolis TV series not going forward amid writer's strike and mounting pre-production costs. This is uh, yesterday in Deadline. Sam Esmail's years-in-the-making adaptation of Fritz Lang's classic 1927 sci-fi film Metropolis has become one of the highest-profile casualties of the growing uncertainty in Hollywood driven by labor unrest against the background of economic headwinds. So that's a fancy way of saying writer's strike and the economy, stupid. The big-budget UPC series for Apple TV+, Plus, which had been prepping in Australia, has permanently shut down. The crew was just notified that the ambitious project will not move forward with production, which had been targeting a summer start. UCP, and that's Universal, uh, I think that's Universal, confirmed the deadline that Metropolis has been scrapped. Push cost and uncertainty related to the ongoing strike led to this difficult decision, a rep for the studio said. Now, this is, we are past the 45-day mark on the writer's strike. I think right now we're day... 4849 Last week Cameron Pasha posted on his Patreon that he's received at least he's received two that he's that he's able to say publicly uh, but he's gotten two writers telling him that they've received their force majeure letters 
which he was Cameron was predicting. He said that on this show, he actually theorized that the studios were going to hold out on negotiations until they get past the point where they can force majeure and cancel a lot of these projects that are either going to be too expensive or too politically charged to move forward with any degree of success. And here we go. They're starting. Metropolis is dead. And whether that's one of the two that Cameron found out about, or maybe it's other stuff, we're going to start seeing this a lot. There's going to be a cascade effect, because now that we're past the 45-day mark, studios are going to start force majeure letters going out to writers and crew and saying, this project's dead, this project's dead, this project's dead. We had it on Saturday report that, that uh, Daredevil Born Again and... Uh, the Penguin productions had been shut down until the end of the strike. At least that's the current status for those. But I would expect, this strike keeps going, I would expect that Daredevil and the Penguin will be done, will be gone, finished. They will not go to production. And we're going to see a lot of them. A lot of projects are about to die all dead, not mostly dead. The Batman 2... Maybe. How? Uh, who knows about any of the Marvel stuff? Star Wars projects? No telling. No telling what's going to happen here. But there are going to be a lot of things that get canceled. Which means, as Tom Cruise is sitting here saying, movies should be in the movie theater... And Christopher Nolan's making this huge thing, and everybody's fighting for the IMAX screens. Next year, 2024, is going to be desert. There's going to be a lot of diminished schedules, let's say. You know, we're coming just out of the pandemic. Theaters were hurt. We saw, I don't know how many chains filed for bankruptcy, did restructuring, sold off assets in order to survive. And they were sitting there saying, we need at least 100 movies in the theaters in 2023 in order to, to, to sustain business. Well, 2023 is going to be all right. July, you know, June, July, August, we're going to have a bunch of movies. Everything, we, 2023 is taken care of, solid. And Paul DeGarabini and saying we could be a, at a $4 billion year this year. Great. Sock some of that money away. Because 2023, I mean 2024 rather, and maybe into 2025, you're going to have a, a, a diminished output from the studios because they can't start anything new. You got some stuff in production now currently because the scripts are already done. Rings of Power. <clears throat> there are some things that are in production because they were far enough along that they could do this, you know, they could do these projects without having to worry about what the writers are going to do because the scripts are finished. Everything's locked. But nobody's working on anything new because they can't. Because they are enjoined by the union strike not to work on anything. Now, the other theory that Cameron has, and I think this makes a certain amount of sense, is he's sitting there thinking, well, a lot of these writers are not too pleased about the fact that we're on strike. 
And what's probably going to happen is you're going to see a lot of writers change their status and drop being voting members of the Writers Guild and change their category to what's called financial core, which means I'm donating my money, I'm paying my dues as a member of the Writers Guild in order to support what the Writers Guild does and all of the different programs and efforts and things and like, you know, projects and whatnot that the Writers Guild I'm going to give you my money to support the Writers Guild as an organization, but I'm going to forego my voting privileges so that I can go and I can work on non-union projects. This changes the relationship between the writers and their obligations to the unions when they go FICOR. And the Writers Guild, we talked about this last week, the Writers Guild even put out a list thinking that it was going to be one of these shame lists. Well, you know, all of these people went financial core. This is not very good. George Lucas is, is top of that list. Steven Soderbergh's on that list. Quentin Tarantino's on that list. So it's not, it's not doing what they think. what they thought it would do, I don't think. I could be a writer, and I could be a member of the union, but I don't have to follow all of the union rules if I go FICOR, and I can still work. See, and that's going to appeal to a lot of writers, especially the ones who are not rich, the ones who are really, really being hurt by this strike because they can't work. (coughs) Because... What options do you have? And if they're sitting there saying, I don't have any work. I got to have work. I got to pay bills. I got to put food on the table. I got to feed the dog. You know, there, there are priorities here. You know, Mrs. Boss and I had a conversation this morning. We got to make sure that we get all the bills paid and do this and what we're going to do here and that and the other. Because, you know, my freelance work is hit and miss. I just finished a job this weekend, and, you know, I usually don't get paid for those things for 30 days out. And you have to, you have to plan. You have to budget. You have to sit there and go, okay, do I have enough to cover this thing I need to do? And so it's, it's one of those things where these, these guys are going to sit there, and a lot of them are probably going to flip to FICOR so they can work. I need money to pay my bills, especially in California. I mean, the expense out there, it's outrageous. And I don't mean like John DiMaggio's Aquaman outrageous. I mean, it really is outrageous how much, how much it costs to live in, in California. And everybody is going to be hurting. Everybody is hurting, except for the rich ones who are making all of these decisions and, and steering the guild in ways that maybe are not to everybody's benefit. Who knows? I don't, I don't know enough about it. I'm not a writer. I'm not in the Writer's Guild. I don't care. It doesn't affect me. But I do care because it does affect people and their ability to survive. Pay your writers. Pay your writers what they're worth. You know, some, somebody needs to sit down and go, okay, let's come up with some equitable deal for everybody that everybody can live with, whether or not you get everything you want or not, you're not gonna. You need to be open to, everybody's got to give a little here. But the studios, the studios are going to be hardballing this for a little while longer because if they can force majeure a lot of these projects out, then 
the really expensive ones. And then see, and this is this is what I was talking about. What you got to do when you come back, when they finally make the deals for the Writers Guild and they get everything back, and the Screen Actors Guild is still kind of they've looked for. They're talking about an extension, which means they're talking, they're negotiating. So there might or might not be a strike. They've already authorized a strike. There doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be a strike. But we're coming up here in the next 11 days. If they don't make a deal, then the, the actors go on strike. And then the clock starts ticking all over again. Are they, are they on a 45-day window? If we have commitments to have, you know, if we're going to have Scarlett Johansson in this next mystery movie, if we go 45 days, can we cancel Scarlett Johansson on this mystery movie? And if there's no the if there's no movies in the theater, <coughs> excuse me, if there's no movies in theater because nobody's making movies, then what does that do to the studios? I mean, you've got elemental bombing in the theater. Is it is it worse to have a movie bomb in the theater, or is it worse to not even have a movie in the theater? I don't know. I guess I guess it's worse to not even have it because if you've got it in the theater, <coughs> then you can at least get some of your money back, and you can do the whole. You know, home movie, streaming, shopping around for licensing and distribution and all of that other stuff. So I guess you could get some of your money back if you've got a completed film. But if you don't have anything to show for it, that's a problem. And if the studios continue to lose money and you look at Pixar starting to bomb and the New York Times is even saying, Pixar's in trouble. Which is kind of kind of a surprise here, although not really. If this is a coordinated thing, because here's the headline: Pixar's Elemental falls flat, adding to worries about the brand. Now, for the last couple of weeks, there have been rumors that Lucasfilm was going to be on the chopping block, that there was a possibility uh, that Bob Iger had sat there and told legal, start looking at what this looks like, <coughs> excuse me, start looking at what it looks like if we sell Lucasfilm. And I'm wondering if this beginning of coverage of Pixar and saying that Pixar's in trouble, I'm wondering if this is the beginning of some trial balloons to see what the reaction is going to be for Pixar going away. Because here are the options. Either Pixar gets folded into Disney animation or Pixar gets sold. <coughs> and if and if the rumors are true and Bob Iger's looking to offload some different divisions of Disney that may not necessarily be adding value to the brand, what if they sell Pixar? And what if it's not Lucasfilm they sell to Apple? What if they sell Pixar to Apple? which used to own Pixar, remember, because Pixar bought it from Lucasfilm. I mean, Apple bought Pixar from Lucasfilm because Pixar started at Lucasfilm. It's all connected. All right, here's the, uh, here's the headline. Brooks Barnes writing on uh, June 18th. Pixar is damaged as a big screen brand. 
That was one of the rather glum takeaways from the weekend box office, which found Elemental, a $200 million plus Pixar original, arriving to a disastrous $29.5 million in domestic ticket sales. The Flash, a Warner Brothers superhero spectacle that cost about $200 million. No, it didn't. It cost way more than that. Also struggled, taking in a lethargic $55.1 million, according to Comscore, which compiles ticketing data. Now, that's interesting because that says 55.1, where the other trades are reporting 55.7. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Tuesday totals, after everything gets adjusted and recounted and everything, what it's going to actually be. <sighs> Hard to sugarcoat this, said David A. Gross, a film consultant who publishes a newsletter on box office numbers. Questions about Pixar's health have swirled in Hollywood and among investors since last June when the Disney-owned studio released Lightyear to disastrous results. How could Pixar, the gold standard of animation studios for nearly three decades, have gotten a movie so wrong, especially one about Buzz Lightyear, a bedrock Toy Story character? Hey, Brooks, there are a number of YouTube channels that have been discussing this very thing. That might prove a little insightful for you if you want to do some homework. Just saying. There was a lot of conversation about why Lightyear failed. We all know why Lightyear failed. We, Lightyear failed because parents have had enough. Leave the kids alone is, is the current mantra. Call of Duty. Bud Light, Target. The regular people, the everyday average ordinary Joes, the ones who just want to be left alone, have had enough. And Lightyear was a victim of that. Lightyear, Lightyear was, a, was a, not a victim, Lightyear was a consequence. What happened to Lightyear was a consequence of people sitting there going, we have had enough of this. <coughs> uh, Michael says, fi financial core makes me think the idea that the less, vo the less voters in the union, the more dictatorial the WGA becomes with the union president especially becoming fat cats or in union. I, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how it's, I don't know how it's structured. Um, financial core is just, is one status. I, I'm not sure how it all, how it all works. It may be something that we need to discuss with, with Cameron and Paul Chattel. We're probably, I'm planning to do kind of a panel, a uh, big panel discussion on what's gone wrong in Hollywood. Um, maybe, maybe see if I can get everybody together for Thursday. So, uh, we'll, we're, we're working, I'm, I'm working on that today. <clears throat> Uh, continuing here, maybe pandemic-worried families were not quite ready to return to theaters. Or maybe, as some box office analysts speculated, Disney had weakened the Pixar brand by using its film to build the Disney Plus streaming service. Those are valid points, but not why, not why Lightyear failed. <clears throat> Starting in late 2020, Disney debuted three Pixar films in a row, Soul, Turning Red, and Luca, online, bypassing theaters altogether. By streaming standards, those three movies were runaway hits, but Pixar's most recent box office success was in 2019 when Toy Story 4 took in $1.1 worldwide. 
Attendance for Elemental over the weekend reinforced the brand problem hypothesis. It was Pixar's worst opening weekend result ever in the United States and Canada. The previous bottom was Onward, which arrived to $39 million, 46 after adjusting for inflation, in domestic ticket sales in March 2020, just as the coronavirus pandemic started to sweep the globe. So, uh, so now they're basically talking about uh, the possibility here, what's going to happen uh, to Pixar? You know, they're talking about, the. you know, they get in here about why the Flash is failing. We all know why the Flash is failing. But if Pixar gets folded into Disney Animation, what does that look like? Because Disney Animation is your traditional animation studio. They do some, some 3D work, but for the most part, they're, they're uh, a traditional animation outfit. They will they will basically cede to the field forfeit to John Lasseter. And John Lasseter and Skydance Animation will take the victory lap. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. I I just I just don't know. Uh, Cam, Cam says, I have an idea. Put all the woke stuff under one studio and family-friendly stuff under another. See which does better. That's a thought. That would be an experiment. Well, see, the thing about it is, though, the, and, you know, this, is, this, is, this is not anything new. We keep talking about this. Look at what succeeds. Look at what people spend their money on. And do more of that. And when you come out of this uh, strike business, you know, post-pandemic, now post-strike, however many strikes there are, when you finally come out, and if I'm if I'm running a studio, if I'm David Zaslav, if I'm Bob Iger, if I'm, you know, who, what, find me the $30 million picture that I can make on the cheap in three weeks and get out in the movie theaters and do... 200 250 million dollars that this is this just goes gangbusters give me something that doesn't have a whole lot of special effects that doesn't have a whole lot of weird costume and makeup just something 30 million dollars romantic comedy romance drama cop movie crime thriller I, whatever give me a 30 million dollar movie and let's make it and go 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 shoot it in 17 days i shot a feature film in a week it can be done. Robert Rodriguez, he did uh, he did the first uh, the first uh, mariachi film on a shoestring budget, and then when he got to the point where he's doing Once Upon a Time in the Mexico, he says, "I've got twenty extra days. What am I going to do?" You don't have to spend an entire month shooting a movie. Shoot it in seven days. Shoot it in eleven days. Do it fast. Go. Get the thing out. That's what's going to save the movie theaters. And it's also going to help the studios because the studios are not invested so much in this one film. If a $30 million movie doesn't do very well, you're not losing out. But if a $300 million movie doesn't do very well, that's a big chunk of change to lose. The Flash. Every Marvel movie, 
you're spending upwards of $200, $250 million. You don't need to be spending that much. <laughs> and yes, Snob, there are certain films that shoot in about a day or a day and a half. I'm, I'm sure that's not quite what the movie studios are going to need to do. But I will point out, because it has been discussed on a number of different threads, different shows and different things on social media. Axel Braun <clears throat> has shot some, you know, the, the, the superhero parody movies that involve certain adult activities by, uh, that, that Axel Braun directs. The costumes are probably more comic book accurate, according to people, than, than what the studios are saying. I mean, this has been discussed online in several different places. When when the adult film industry gets the comic book superheroes more accurately than the studios what own them, then something's amiss. I think, right? But you don't have to spend 300 million dollars on a movie. 30 million, 50 million. We used to make, used to be superhero movies you could make for 70, 80, 90 million dollars. And I know the special effects cost a lot of money, but they don't have to. Especially if you have it all planned out from the get-go and here is the shot I need not to give me options. Because half of everything that these movie these these effects houses are doing never get used. Because there's no plan. And part of that comes from the fact that your directors are not the ones who are actually in charge of the creative process on these things. It is a, it is a machine, and Kevin Feige is in charge of the machine. And it's you know the TV the TV show concept. You've got all of these all of these directors are directing an episode of the TV show, and Kevin Feige is the showrunner. You can't do a sustainable model that way. We see that now with Phase Four faltering. You can only do so much with that. Give me a $30 million movie and let it do $100, $150 million in the theater and you're in, you're in good shape. Do four or five of those in a year? Or in six months? You know, give me a summer full of $30 million movies. Back in the 80s, we had all sorts of films. 1989. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Ghostbusters 2. I... Batman. There were a lot of movies that came out in one year that are classics. They're 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 they withstand the test of time. They hold up now. Even you're not going to get that much nowadays. The '80s and early '90s, we got so many films every year. It was it was it was the golden age. I mean, it was that was that was the time, and we grew up with all of these really good movies, science fiction and horror and comedy. It could be that way again, but you don't have to spend three hundred million dollars on every picture. It's not that's not a sustainable model, and and the studios are finding out. It's not a sustainable model. You're not going to make enough money 
every single time. Because, I mean, Indiana Jones 5, it's a 200 maybe million dollar movie. It's got to do a billion seven probably to, to be considered a success. And it's not going to do a billion seven. It's not going to do 60 to 70 million like they're predicting on opening weekend either. Maybe 60. Just because, I mean, it's, it's Harrison Ford and it's Indiana Jones and it's John Williams. The nostalgia factor will be a big part of that film. Even more so than with Michael Keaton's Batman. Indiana Jones 5 will do okay first weekend. What happens after that is going to depend on the audience that actually does go and see it opening weekend. The $60 million crowd, they're going to be the ones that turn around to the other people and they go, this is a really great movie, you need to go see it. Or... This is a crap film. Phoebe Waller-Bridge ruins it for everybody. Don't waste your money. Those are your options. It's a really good film in spite of Phoebe Waller-Bridge, or it's a terrible, crappy film because of Phoebe Waller-Bridge. That's going to be what comes out of that opening weekend, June 30th. It's not going to be Harrison Ford's back as Indy. It's going to be is this good? Is this bad? Depending on Helena Shaw. Fairly or unfairly. That's what it's going to come down to. <clears throat> and I have a feeling, and this is just me noodling off the top of my head, I have a feeling that Bob Iger has said to the trades, it's okay to go after Kathleen Kennedy now. You, she's no longer protected the way she has been because all of those reviews coming out of Khan at the same time we got Galactic Star Cruiser crash, crashing and Willow being pulled from, from Disney Plus and Hulu. All of this stuff happened the same day. And then you've got the premiere of Indiana Jones 5 and Steven Spielberg comes out there and says there are three people that have made Indiana Jones the success that it is. You have George Lucas, the creator of Indiana Jones. Everybody claps, including Kathleen Kennedy. Kathy, Kathy claps for George. And you've got the man who is Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford, and everybody claps for Harrison Ford, including Kathy Kennedy. Three people that hold it together, right, according to Spielberg. So you got George Lucas, the creator of Indiana Jones. You've got Harrison Ford, the guy who is Indiana Jones. And the guy who's given us all of this wonderful stuff that's held it all together, John Williams. Kathy Kennedy does not clap. Because Kathy Kennedy just got burned on stage, live, in front of a studio audience. Because according to Steven Spielberg whose associate Kathleen Kennedy was on Raiders of the Lost Ark when she started her career, according to Steven Spielberg, the three people who have made Indiana Jones the success that it is, the gigantic franchise that it is, are George Lucas, Harrison Ford, and John Williams. And that's got to burn. That has to hurt. Because when the curtain comes up and you got John Williams standing there and the orchestra standing there and everybody's applauding, 
and Spielberg goes to shake John Williams' hand, and Harrison Ford shakes John Williams' hand, and James Mangold shakes John Williams' hand, and Frank Marshall and Kathleen Kennedy are headed off stage. You talk about petty. That does not make Kathleen Kennedy look good. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. All right. That's going to do it for us today, folks. Thanks very much for being here. Um, Don't be the weakest link in your chain. Um, (laughs) Stop says, Ford couldn't do his thing without the coffee that Kathy got him. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. All right, so that's going to do it for us today, folks. Thanks very much for being here and for uh, giving us your time and attention. Don't forget, you can uh, join us on social media, all of the different places there where you can find us. Uh, The newsletter you can sign up for, the Discord server, you can uh, join the conversation over there and, uh, and be part of all of our stuffs and things that we've got going. Uh, we will be back with our regular schedule for uh, the H2O podcast Tuesday night, 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 Central. I'm not sure exactly what we're going to be talking about, but we talk about something. So join us for that. And that's it, folks. Thanks very much again for being here. Whether you're here live or whether you're here Memorex, we appreciate you being here. And uh, we'll see you again tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. Remember, the politicians hate you. The media lies to you. God has a plan for you. And there are four lights. This has been a presentation of SciFiForMe.com. Copyright 2023 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 